Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, as you may have heard last week, Saskatchewan Crop Insurance Corporation is forecasting $2 billion in payouts to farmers from a suite of business risk management programs they administer. We'll hear from the president and CEO of Saskatchewan Crop Insurance, Jeff Morrow, on that. After a strong start to the fall calf run, cattle markets are on the downturn. We'll hear from Ann Wasco, who is a market analyst with Gateway Livestock Exchange. We'll also have your weekly overview of the wheat market with Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. And there's been a report of John Deere selling farm equipment directly to a Saskatchewan-based farm corporation. SaskAgToday.com Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch has delved into that controversy. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of SaskAg Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bile meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Special today. Saskatchewan Crop Insurance Corporation is forecasting $2 billion in payouts to farmers from a suite of business risk management programs they administer. The president and CEO of Saskatchewan Crop Insurance, Jeff Morrill, says most of that would come from the 2023 Crop Insurance Program. That's the Crop Insurance Program uh, on its own. Um, you know, it's a forecast expected to the claims to reach um, that they could reach that 1.85 billion, and when you you reference the other business risk management programs um, that SCIC delivers, when you add those into the mix as well, it's it uh, you know it approaches that two billion dollar uh, support mark for for 2023. Thirty percent of crop insurance program claims have been paid to producers to this point, and the deadline to file a claim is tomorrow. For any producer that's uh, has a crop insurance contract or insured acres with us, they have until November 15th to to send their yield information to us and or register a claim if they are short in, in their in the yield that they produced on their farm. He explains how claims are paid through the crop insurance program. The way we pay claims through the crop insurance program is through previous premiums, basically. So there's the crop insurance program has a fund uh, that has been built up over the years. So whenever claims exceed premium, we're able to to draw on that fund that is there uh, to pay. So if the forecasts are a little bit higher than than what we have today at 1.85, there is funds available for sure to to pay those claims. He says the information released is to acknowledge a tough growing season for some farmers in this province. I think one of the reasons we're talking about this today is just to just to acknowledge that we recognize it's another challenging year for for a lot of producers in the province and, and mainly in the southwest and the west central side uh, of the province. Uh, and so just to, you know, to highlight the, the support that is there um, through the programs uh, that SCIC offers. And also, you know, in addition to those regular, those four programs that are standard, the um, there's also agri-recovery 
support that was announced uh, in late October, uh, specifically directed for the livestock sector that we know had such a challenging year again uh, with feed in 2023. Large portions of West Central, Central, and Southwestern Saskatchewan endured a third consecutive drought this year. Crop insurance payments were $1.4 billion in 2022. To put those numbers into perspective, indemnities in 2018 were only $265 million, $260 million in 2019, and $188 million in 2020. Crop insurance premiums are split three ways, with the producer paying 40%, the federal government 36%, and the Saskatchewan government 24%. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. To further strengthen Canada's canola industry, Federal Agriculture Minister Lawrence McCauley has announced over $9 million to the Canola Council of Canada through the Agri-Science Program Clusters Component, an initiative under the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership. The goal of the canola cluster is to sustainably increase Canada's canola productivity, help the canola sector meet rising global demands, and improve our global competitiveness. To achieve these objectives, activities undertaken by the Canola Council under this funding will focus on three priority areas. Research on sustainable and reliable supply, increasing value, and ensuring stable and open trade. This will also contribute to reducing greenhouse gas emissions, increasing carbon sequestration, improving soil and water quality, and enhancing biodiversity. This critical research will keep the sector on the cutting edge so it can continue to grow sustainably while feeding and fueling Canada and the world. Cotex Technologies, a growing Canadian agricultural technology startup, and Nutrien, the world's largest provider of crop inputs and services, have announced they have entered into a memorandum of understanding. It's to explore the joint commercialization of a coding technology to produce an affordable, environmentally friendly nitrogen fertilizer solution for large acreage crops in the North American market. Cotex Technologies, a startup located in Nova Scotia, has developed a low-cost, customizable, controlled-release fertilizer coating that minimizes environmental impact. Their biodegradable coating allows fertilizer to be slowly released into the soil over time, reducing greenhouse gas emissions and eliminating potential residual material. Over 110 million metric tons of nitrogen fertilizer is applied to crops worldwide every year. Nitrogen is required by every living cell and is a fundamental building block of plant proteins that improve crop yield and quality. CN and CPKC rail supplied a combined 95% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 14 matching the performance seen the previous week. While overall system performance remained unchanged, CN and CPKC each saw performance dip ever so slightly, with CN supplying 91% and CPKC 98% of cars ordered. 
in supplying 91% of hopper cars ordered on time in week 14. CN saw performance dip very slightly from the 92% order fulfillment performance they posted in week 13. CN performance remains above the 90% performance threshold for the second straight week. CPKC performance also saw a modest dip, with the railway supplying 98% of shipper orders in week 14, as compared to the 99% order fulfillment performance in week 13, CPKC performance remains above the 90% threshold for the third consecutive week. Avian flu has been identified at two more commercial poultry farms in the Fraser Valley. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency says the latest outbreaks involves a flock in Chilliwack and another in Abbotsford. The agency is working to confirm any primary control zone around those farms and around three of four commercial poultry operations between Langley Township and Chilliwack, where outbreaks were reported Saturday. A fourth outbreak was identified on Saturday in an already existing control zone in Chilliwack, and the total number of outbreaks has now climbed to 28, with most in the Fraser Valley, but two on Vancouver Island, and another in the Thompson-Nicola region. JBS, the world's biggest meatpacker, reported an 86% drop in third quarter net income compared to a year ago on Monday, sliding to around $166.3 million Canadian. In the U.S., the company's biggest market by sales revenue, beef margins fell sharply as reduced cattle herds limited the availability of animals for slaughter and raised costs, a situation also affecting rival Tyson Foods. Citing the USDA, JBS said U.S. beef exports were down 19% year-on-year through end September, mainly due to supply restrictions combined with lower Asian demand, which hurt the firm. The three main destinations of U.S. beef exports remain South Korea, Japan, and China. And be sure to listen to the latest SaskAg Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. It's time now to head back out once again to Evan Montgomery. Thanks a lot, Doug. Leroy Leisure Lotto. Picture this. Saturday night, you get a phone call saying, congratulations, you won the grand prize. Are you going to take the cash or the leisure package? It's good to have a few days in advance to think out your answer. So if you call, get your ticket now, you can have the perfect answer for when you get that call. Are you going to go with the cash, $130,000? Or are you going to work on what you're going to do with the leisure package? Are you going to pick the Sea-Doo's or the Polaris ATVs? You're going to go with the, the Chevy, the Ram, or the Ford? Yeah, these are the choices you'll get to sleep on over the next few nights because Saturday, that is when all the draws are happening. Now, you have not missed out on a single draw. No early bird, nothing like that. Once you get your ticket today, you are be in for all of the draws but you got to get that ticket. 1-866-YA-LEROY. 1-866-925-3769. Leroy Leisure. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's sunny and 4 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. After a strong start to the fall calf run, Cattle markets are on the downturn. 
since a bearish cattle on feed report for the United, Na- uh, United States last month, prices have been trending lower. Anne Wasco is a market analyst with Gateway Livestock Exchange. It keeps moving lower, and this is usually when we've got a pretty strong seasonal increase to the wholesale price. So the fact that it's going the opposite direction as uh, expectations has meant the market has, for several reasons, economy, outside influences, you name it, um, has lost confidence. In Western Canada, fed cattle prices trended lower. Packers, to me, look like they're pretty comfortable with inventory. Some are now buying cash cattle out into the second half of December. So that means um, if you're a seller into this market, your bargaining position you've certainly is in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. And same thing, looking for when that might improve. Uh, we've, got big, we've had big placements. We've talked about that even here in Western Canada. So there's, it's not like numbers are going to get smaller in the first quarter of next year. Then there's the difference in the various protein prices. It costs less to buy pork than beef. They're starting to feel like and build more concern around the demand side. You know, we know um, retail prices are high, uh, especially on the beef front, and especially compared to some of the other competing proteins. The one positive last week was news of a record U.S. corn crop, which should mean lower feed costs over the winter. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for December are trading at 176.32 today. That's up 140. February live cattle trading at 177.55, up 230. January feeder cattle trading at 228.92, up 62. March feeder cattle trading at 231.47, up 140. December lean hogs trading at 72.27, down 107. February lean hogs trading at 76.02, down one full cent. And that's the livestock market conditions. A weekly overview of the wheat market has been provided by Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. U.S. wheat futures finished the week mixed last week as an alleged Russian missile hit a vessel in the Black Sea. Algeria made a large wheat purchase and the USDA report, although largely neutral for wheat, was had some bearish corn numbers that put pressure on the grain markets. And we'll start with the USDA report. For wheat, the USDA reduced global wheat production by 1.4 million tons as smaller production in Argentina, Kazakhstan, and India offset larger production in Russia. Global consumption was left essentially unchanged. Exports were reduced by 1.3 million tons, led by a 1.5 million ton decrease from Argentina and a half a million ton decrease in India. These reductions were only partially offset by a 1 million ton increase in exports from Ukraine, which we think is suspect given their slow pace to date. Overall, global wheat ending stocks were raised by 600,000 tons, which is down 4% from last year. In Canada, Stats Canada released their monthly export data. Canadian wheat exports during the month of September were large, at 2.1 million tons. 
China was the largest destination at 341,000 tons. China imported 16% of the total September export volume. August to September exports to China are 416.5 million tons, which is 22% less than last year. Meanwhile, exports to the U.S. are more than double last year's volume at 400,000 tons, making the U.S. the second largest customer for Canadian wheat this season. Exports to Mexico are also 130% larger than last year. Canadian wheat exports to countries outside of the top 10 countries are also running well ahead of last year. There has been an uptick in demand from African countries over the past two months. August to September exports to African countries are 345,000 tons, which is up 180,000 tons from the same time last year. As far as the weekly export data go, exports in shipping week 14 were 374,000 tons, resulting in a season total of 5.5 million tons. This is 8% ahead of last year, although the spread from last year closed by 3 points over the week. Producer deliveries were massive last week at 643,000 tons. Visible supply rose to 2.8 million tons. 1.4 million tons of this is sitting in export terminals, which should allow for exports to remain strong. At 6.8 million tons, producers have delivered over one quarter of last year's wheat crop. For Durham, Stats Canada's monthly export data shows that Durham exports in September were 164,000 tons. This signals the slowest September for Durham exports in recent history. With that said, the August-September total of 366,000 tons is only slightly behind last year's pace. This was made possible as a 103,000 ton decrease in exports to Italy have been made up by larger exports to Japan, Algeria, Nigeria, and several quote-unquote other smaller importers. For the weekly data, Canadian Durham exports were 60.6 thousand tons in week 14 for a season total of 717 thousand tons, down 29% from last year, but still slightly ahead of the 32% decrease in exports that we are expecting. And we'll go over to U.S. wheat. The USDA increased U.S. wheat imports by 10 million bushels, raising total supply to 2.5 billion bushels, up 3% from last year. Exports were left unchanged at 700 million bushels, down 8% from last year. Food use was reduced by 4 million bushels. Ending stocks were raised by 14 million bushels to 684 million bushels, up 18% from last year. For U.S. spring wheat, the only change the USDA made was a 5 million bushel increase in imports to 65 million bushels. This is 16% more than last year and most likely will come from Canada. For U.S. Durham, the USDA decreased imports by 5 million bushels to 40 million bushels, down 22% from last year. Durham food use was reduced by 2 million bushels for a 3 million bushel decrease in ending stocks to 17 million bushels, down almost 40% from last year. If the ending stock number is true, this would be the lowest ending stock number for Durham 
since the 2007-2008 crop year. As far as the condition of the U.S. winter wheat crop, it came in better than expected this week at 50% good to excellent, which is a 2% improvement from last week and 10-20% better than last year. 90% of the U.S. winter wheat crop has been planted. U.S. weekly export sales were 354,000 tons for a season total of 430 million bushels down 6% from last year compared to the USDA's forecasted 8% decline. Remember, the USDA left that number unchanged. Although sales are strong, U.S. shipments are near all-time lows. Wheat exports are usually slower at this time of year as terminals focus on soybean movement, but last week's 72,000 tons of exports was the slowest weekly volume since records began in January 1983. Total exports are running 27% behind last year. The low water level of the Mississippi River is one of the factors impacting movement, as wheat exports through the U.S. Gulf are 40% behind last year. Now water levels in the Mississippi have improved, along with barge rates, but low levels now in the Panama Canal will restrict movement from the Gulf to the Asian markets. And we'll move over to Australia, where they have harvested about a quarter of their crop. We hear that yields in Queensland are as expected, which will amount to about half of last year's total volume, but further south, yields are reportedly better than expected. The USDA left Australia's wheat crop at, 40, at 24.5 million tons, which looks low. We've heard of estimates ranging from 24 to 27 million tons. For Argentina, Harvest in Argentina is 14% complete. The average yield rose by 0.15 tons per hectare over the week to 1.25 tons per hectare. Now remember, Badge's production number implies a 2.65 ton per hectare yield. Yields will improve, but will they reach Badge's estimate? We wait and see. Good to excellent ratings fell by 1 point to 14% good to excellent. This compares to 8% good to excellent last year. The Rosario Grain Exchange cut their estimate for Argentina's wheat crop by another 500, no, 800,000 tons, saying the recent rains were too late to improve wheat yields and we tend to agree. They estimated the crop will be 13.5 million tons compared to Badge's 15.4 million tons and the USDA's updated number of 15 million tons. Argentina's farmers sold another 100,000 tons of wheat last week. This was all taken by local demand and no exporters purchased. For India, the USDA revised India's wheat crop lower by 3 million tons to 110.5 million tons. This is above the recent update by the USDA's attaché in India which put the crop at 106 million tons. In the EU, the USDA left the EU's wheat balance sheet unchanged. Most notable is the export estimate of 37.5 million tons, which is 7% higher than last year, despite the current pace, that is 20% behind last year. Rain continued to fall in the EU, hindering winter wheat planting progress. Seeding progress in France is just 67% complete, compared to the 83% average. In the Black Sea, 
The USDA lifted Russia's 2023 wheat crop by 5 million tons to 90 million tons, which we think is closer. Russia's exports were unchanged at 50 million tons as the higher production prompted higher domestic use and a larger carryout. The USDA left Russia's previous crop, the 2022 crop, at 92 million tons, which is generally considered too low. Russia implemented a February to June wheat export quota of 25 million tons, but this compares to the 11 million tons last year and will have no impact on the pace of their wheat exports. As far as some of the significant purchases and trades, Jordan bought 60,000 tons of optional origin wheat, and they're expected to be back for another 120,000 tons. Meanwhile, Algeria bought what is reported to be 600 to 750,000 tons of December-January delivery wheat. Both Algeria and Jordan look like they're a Russian execution, but some of Algeria's wheat could come from France, given the volume may overwhelm Russia's export infrastructure. In other news, the alleged Russian missile that hit the cargo ship near the port of Odessa killed the pilot and injured some of the crew members. The ship was carrying iron ore, and the trade reacted, but then found other things to pay attention to. As far as the outlook goes, the funds are maintaining a large short position, but there was nothing in the USDA report to cause them to change course. Russian wheat remains the cheapest for most of the potential importers, and weak currencies against the dollar remain negative to demand. We had a newswire that highlighted this issue uh, with the Andersons company reported a $19 million loss when doing business with Egypt. The Andersons say they were forced to take a lower currency exchange rate due to the, quote, unusual currency liquidity issues, end quote, that their customers in Egypt are facing. This is one example of how the weak currencies in importing countries are affecting demand, and we suspect that the Andersons aren't the, other, the only companies experiencing this kind of situation. Otherwise, the trade will be watching the harvest results in the Southern Hemisphere and the Chinese wheat demand. For our recommendations, we do not expect to extend cash wheat sales until the new year. That's Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. Please stay tuned. Your commodities update will be coming up in about two minutes' time. Commodities update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. January canola trading at 7.1460, up $13.50. March canola trading at 7.2090, up $12.20. December Minneapolis wheat trading at 7.32 and a half, up three and three quarters of a cent. December Kansas City wheat trading at 6.40 per bushel, down one and a half cents. December Chicago wheat trading at 5.73 and a quarter down five and three quarters of a cent. December corn trading at 4.78 per bushel, up three quarters of a cent. January soybeans trading at 13.87 per bushel, that's up four and a half cents. December oats trading at 3.56 per bushel, 
down a quarter of a cent. And that's the Commodities Update. It's time now to check in once again with Evan Montgomery. Clock is ticking for the Leroy Leisure Lotto. one yeah leroy Perfect time right now is call, get your ticket, and you'll know you're going to be in all the draws. 34 draws will be taking place on Saturday. Interested? You could win $130,000. That is the grand prize or the leisure package. Second prize, take the hot tub or ten grand. Third prize, well, cash is king, $5,000 plus 30 more cash draws. And make sure to ask about the 50-50. Last year's jackpot to take home, $48,565. Right now, we're at uh, over $27,000 take home for the winner, and that's going to keep going. So make sure you're in on these because, yeah, the, once uh, next week you call, no, it's done. It's all done. Everything ends November 18th. So call, get your ticket, 1-866-YEAH-LEROY, 1-866-925-3776. Farm Bulletin Board. A virtual mental health session designed specifically for men in the agriculture sector is coming up this Thursday, November 16th. That includes farmers, their employees, agronomists, those in retail, anyone connected with agriculture. The event is called Bro Talk, Breaking the Silence. It's organized by the Do More Ag Foundation. This is Executive Director Megs Reynolds. Getting men having conversations, demonstrating that it's okay to be vulnerable, to open up, to say that something's going on, to ask for help. It is bringing men together from the industry. And the goal of that is for them to have a, a really vulnerable, open conversation about what's gone on in their lives, what they've done about it when they needed help to really show that it's okay to be vulnerable and it's, you know, normalized that we all go through things. Reynolds says it's important to have something like bro talk. Women are more likely to have a couple friends that they feel comfortable with having conversations with, where men tend to not have that. And the stigma in men surrounding mental health and having conversations about mental health is higher. And now bring that into agriculture where you really have that, that culture of being stoic and you know, cowboy up. We've connected in agriculture that showing emotion is being weak, which it is not at all. And so men have a much harder time starting those conversations, checking in with friends, reaching out when they need help. Bro Talk will be hosted by Sean Brook, the president of Seed World Group. Also participating will be farmer and comedian Quick Dick McDick, former bull rider Cycle Stewart, and mental health clinician Sean O'Grady. Bro Talk will take place this Thursday, just two days away during the noon hour. To register, check out the Do More Ag Foundation website. And the Canadian Association of Farm Advisors is advising of their Parkland Learning event coming up. It's a program available under the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership. It'll run on Wednesday, November 29th from 9 until 10.30 a.m., at the Community Futures Ventures office that's at 204 Smith Street East in Yorkton. However, you must RSVP by November 26th. So if you would like to RSVP, simply go online to denise at philipchuckmanagement.com and you can pre-register for that event coming up 
on Wednesday, November 29th. And that's today's Farm Bulletin Board, and that'll do it for SaskAg Today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program.